0: When I met her, she had the third most controlling stock in McDonald's. She was actually the first woman to ever trade on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange.
1: We're going to be making conversations about discernible deeds count.
0: I still remember what she said, the way she said it. And my first thought right after she made the statement, when I asked her, June, why'd you do it? Why'd you work for nothing? She answered and said...
1: Podcasts start with, I'm so excited, or it gives me great pleasure. But in this instance, I have to say, this is a conversation that comes from a little bit left field. We usually have guests that come on who are experts in their field and they then share a pivotal conversation with us. However, as I'm recording this after the main recording, event. The sun's shining, the birds are tweeting. If you hear that, I'm unapologetic about it. Because this whole conversation is based on true events, real life, genuine and authentic. A 16-year-old young janitor was cleaning the floors of a multimillionaire's home. And the preconceptions that are often misguided around people with lots of money are that they're not approachable. But boy, this young man plucked up the courage to ask a question. And the story that unfolded has brought him full circle to today and how he supports others. If you know the movie The Founder...
0: I know what you're thinking. How the heck does a 52-year-old, over-the-hill, milkshake machine salesman build a fast-food empire with 1,600 restaurants and an annual revenue of $700 million? One word, persistence.
1: Prince Castle Sales. Hi, how's it going
0: down there? Good, swell, a lot of interest. We got an order, six mixers. To anyone in particular? McDonald's. What is that? The Golden Arches. It's a way to make the place stand out. huh? There should be McDonald's everywhere. Franchise the damn thing, Mr. Croft. Franchise. 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 McDonald's can be the new American church. And it ain't just open on Sundays, boys.
1: Or heard a little bit about the backstory of McDonald's, you'll know that there were several lessons to be learned by understanding the story. But let's let ea tell it
0: i live in michigan now but the first 30 years of my life was in chicago and and my father was a milkman so they as a milkman you know that's probably if you did middle class it's one notch under that you know i mean he very he worked for himself had his own truck and delivered milk you know and back then milk came in glass gallons and probably went to plastic because all the ones I broke helping him. And at five years old, I remember getting up in the morning, three in the morning, and he'd go chop up ice, these six foot high blocks of ice he had to chop up to put on top of the milk because uh, all the delivery trucks, none of them refrigerated. Only the big 18 wheelers had refrigeration back then. I mean, he had to put ice on top of the milk so he could deliver it all day long. And and I found memories of that, but it was very humble, nothing unusual about the upbringing, that kind of thing. And then at 16, I went out to... Uh, be my first big step toward success, and I became a janitor. I didn't mind being a janitor because business was always picking up. What? Anyway, so here I was at 16, and I had two extraordinary events happen relating with other people while I was 16 years old. The first was, there was a movie out, and it's actually a pretty good view. And when I say the lady's name, it won't mean anything to anyone until I mention the movie and make the movie reference, then I'll go, oh, okay, I know who that is. At 16 years old, I was able to be bonded, which means insured. So that means if my buffer as a janitor hit some piece of equipment, insurance company would pay for it, right? And uh, so that allowed me to be in expensive buildings, at expensive equipment, and also expensive homes. And one of the homes I cleaned every single Wednesday, I was there cleaning her house. Back then, it was a million-dollar mansion. She had a full-time maid, full-time butler, Rolls-Royce in the garage. And this was when I was 16. And her name was June Martino. Now, the name doesn't mean anything until someone might have seen the movie, and it was called The Founder. Michael Keaton plays Ray Kroc, and it's about McDonald's.
1: I've just watched and, that at the weekend.
0: Oh, okay. Well, oh. It, here's what's amazing. First, all, I want to say I lived the whole experience because... I lived in Oakbrook, which is where the world headquarters for McDonald's was. And in the movie, you know, they talk about, you know, McDonald's number one, and that was in Des Plaines. We drove by that 200 times or more because it was the end of our milk route every day when I was a little kid with my father. So I witnessed all of this. And June Martino lived in this place called Ginger Creek. It was a suburb of Oakbrook and uh, right next to where I lived. In the beginning of the movie, it says this is based on a true story. It's true. It's based on a true story. It's not the true story. I mean, in fact, there's so much Hollywood spin and Ray is painted the way he is not that way and was not that way. That's all Hollywood spin to get the listener pulled in and to have a, you know, sort of a a rough guy to make drama. He wasn't even that way. But there are many events that are nodded to that did actually occur during the time frame in the movie. In the movie, Michael Keaton, playing Ray Kroc, talks to a lady outside his office, June this, June that, June that. That lady is the lady whose house I cleaned every Wednesday.
1: Oh, no, she went on to become president, didn't she?
0: Well, she was actually, uh, well, when I met her, she had the third most controlling stock in McDonald's. She was actually the first woman to ever trade on the floor uh, um, of the New York Stock Exchange. Yeah,
1: I saw that, Yeah, Yeah,
0: it was, uh, uh, Turner was the man who became ultimately the chairman of McDonald's, uh, Fred Turner. And then it was uh, the man that was from Tasty Freeze that, you know, became the president of the real estate company. And those things, by the way, were nodded to, and they were pretty much accurate. Uh, but one day I was cleaning June's house, because I was in every Wednesday. And one of the things that was amazing to me, Wendy, was how approachable she was. I always thought to be successful... And I don't know where this came from. I was wrong, grossly wrong. But I thought to be successful, you had to be me only and be willing to push people down and grab and take and fight your way. And She was so the opposite. It wasn't even funny. The other extreme, right? So approachable, so friendly. I mean, even if I was buffing the floor in a room in her home and she walked through and I didn't look up because I was buffing the floor, she would say hi. I mean, just, you know, that kind of person. So one day I got up all my nerve shaken in my janitorial boots to approach her. You want to talk about conversations. And I, sit, and I went up to her and I said, hi, June. And she said, hi. I mean, she knew who I was. I was, saw him every Wednesday. And I said, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, uh, could you tell me about it? And she said, well, what's that? And I said, well, the whole McDonald's thing. I'm not kidding, Wendy. That lady in the movie, of course, that's not really her, other than you see her real picture at the end, right in the, towards the credits, put her arm around me, brought me in the kitchen and the entire day, told me the entire story, even had the maiden butlers bringing us food so she could keep telling me the story. They're sitting in the kitchen where they prepare the food. And it was interesting because she started the story where she worked for Ray as when he was a milkshake mixer salesman, right? It was Prince Castle sales, you know, selling the milkshakes. uh, And the milkshake mixers, I should say. So she starts the story there because that's when she was working for him and all the way through. And then she tells me about a part that is not a two in the movie. There's a part in the movie where June goes to Ray and says, Ray, we got a little problem. We don't have any money. And he can't believe it. And he says, what do you mean? He's, you know, we have all these. And that causes him to call the brothers and they have this drama scene. I want more percentage. I need more percentage, et cetera. And he slams on the phone, right? That isn't how the event happened, but the event itself puritanically did happen. So she told me, Ray didn't have any money. He was out of money. There was no money in the till. There was no money in the company. So we made an agreement that I would keep working for him for no pay. And he would pay me in worthless worth less than zero company stock. And he would take the bill collectors and any bill collectors were calling me personally for money. He would take the phone calls. So I just asked her, I said, June, why'd you do it? I said, you know, I'm 16 years old and I'm a janitor. I work paycheck to paycheck. If I don't get my check on Friday, I'm not showing on Saturday. I need my check. You know, I work paycheck. To- Why did you work for nothing? I said, I would never do that. And right then, Wendy, she stared at me with this blank look on her face, eyeball to eyeball. And I realized she just left the room, even though she's staring at me. And I'm, and here I am, I'm 16 years old, and I'm talking to June Martino, the icon. Everyone knew who she was in the area when I met her. And she's staring at me. I'm going, do, because <laughs> it seemed like 30 minutes, it was like maybe 15 seconds. But I realized I just asked her a question no one ever asked her before. Everyone wanted to know what happened, but no one wanted to know why. And I just asked her, why'd you do it? And when she spoke it made the hair stand up on the back of my neck, I still remember what she said, the way she said it, and my first thought right after she made the statement. When I asked her, June, why'd you do it? Why'd you work for nothing? She answered and said, because I believed in Ray. And the way she said it and what was behind it, I, I realized she just had this revelation, you know, that that, that why she had done it. And my first thought after that was, that's it. I need to find me a Ray Kroc. That's what I need. If I could find someone that could put me under their wing and teach me, just like he taught her, because it didn't work out too bad for her. I'm cleaning this million-dollar home, and it was a million-dollar home when I was 16, right? So, I mean, it certainly didn't work out too bad for her. I need to find a Ray Kroc. So, I just threw it out there. Where would I find my Ray Kroc? Where would he be? Where would I meet him? I remember having those thoughts, and it wasn't two or three months later. All of a sudden, the janitorial service where I work, same place, that had the June Martino account. We cleaned her home and the home for her sons. They they were all in Ginger Creek in that area. I mean, a really nice area, obviously, right? But right next to uh, Oakbrook, where the world headquarters was for McDonald's for decades, since smooth, but that's where it was for years. We got a phone call to the janitorial service, and my boss sent me over to meet this man who was opening a diamond store in Chicagoland area. So I met this man. He offered me a job, and he became the father I never had, even though I had a father. I became the son he never had, even though he had a son. And he became my true, puritanically, and he was a true genius mentor. And I was so blessed to have him in my life for so many years. And I can share with you that he was a puritanical genius. And because of that relationship, I became a huge advocate for mentoring. You know, And I tell people, I said, if you don't have a mentor in my world, we call that naive. That's what we call it. And when you find a mentor, find someone who has done it, not one of the thousands of educated idiots I've met over my life. And them educated idiots, they have all the book knowledge, all the information, they can spew it all back to you. Zero implementation, zero execution skills. They've never done it, just that simple. When you hire an educated idiot, all you're doing is paying for their education because they don't know what the, they haven't done it yet. The person who has done it, when you have a mentor, like a Wendy who says, I can help you with conversations because I have thousands of them every year and I fine tune my skill. A mentor that's done it brings with them all the things that don't work. And there's the education. There's where the real wisdom and value is, the scars on the shins of what didn't work and what blew up in their face and et cetera, et cetera. So it was this mentor. And I'd like to share a story, if I can, with your listeners of how what an amazing man this really was, this mentor that taught me everything. And then subsequently, the commitment I made to him, he taught me about, you know, in the United States, we had this thing uh, called the Great Depression, He told me about what it was like to grow up in a Great Depression. He says it was very challenging times. He said people were jumping off of buildings, committing suicide because they lost their fortunes. He said multi-mile long, multi-mile long soup kitchen lines to get nothing but a bowl of soup. He said it was desperate times. People needed food. And he said for some of our meals, we even ate cardboard. Cardboard that's desperate times. And he was walking around. No one was hiring. No one was working people. You know, I mean, it was, it was really a, a, you know, blindsiding desperate time. And he went by the store and saw this guy standing in the back of the store. So he just went in, started burning the clock, talked with the guy. He wasn't working, couldn't work. No one was hiring. It turns out the guy, when he went and talked with him, he was the owner. It was a sewing machine store and it was filled with sewing machines. And the owner said, you know, I've bought all these sewing machines are just collecting dust he said, there's no customers because people want food. They don't want sewing machines. And he said, I had to let all my employees go. I couldn't afford to keep them. He it's just me. I just come in to keep an eye on sewing machines every day. He says, it's really it. My mentor had this flash in his mind. And he said, well, what if I helped you sell some of these? And I was like a little shocked. He said, well, what do you have in mind? He said, well, people can't afford to buy sewing machines. He said, but how about if we sold them on payments? And he said, I tell you what, I'll even back the payments. If someone walks with a sewing machine, I'll guarantee it. So you'll never be out any money. He said, we can split the payments. I'll set it up and we can split the payments. The guy says, man, go for it. They're, They're just collecting dust. They're all paid for just sitting here. Do something, right? And the next thing he did was a real stroke of genius. He put together a flyer and the title line on it was Women to Work from Home. And he told me he never really fully caught up with all the responses ever. The fact that anyone was hiring, So he built this huge community of women working from home during the Depression. He sold them a sewing machine on payments, gave them the patterns to make the clothing, gave them the material to make the clothing out of, and then guaranteed he would buy the clothing from them, thus guaranteeing their income so they could make the payments on the sewing machine and have an income left over, which everyone really, really needed to buy food and everything else, right? So from that, then it didn't end. He bought the clothing from them, sold it to stores as handmade, high-quality, deep-discounted clothing that the stores then could sell to customers who didn't have a lot of money and wanted high-quality but at the deepest discount possible. In 18 months, Wendy, when people were jumping off of buildings in desperation, commit suicide, standing in multi-mile-long soup kitchen lines, in 18 months, he earned $1 million. dollars. So when someone tells me they have a business problem, I don't buy it. I say, what's your excuse? And I tell him the story. I said, now, And my mentor shared with me. And that was the purpose of the story. He said, in your life, you're going to get tackled a thousand times. Get ready. You're going to get tackled. He said, it's not about getting tackled. It's about getting up. That's not, it's not about being tackled. He said, you don't drown by falling in the pool. You drown by staying in the pool. He said, get out of the water, right? So here's what happens. When you think you have a money problem in your life, you do not. He said, I say it again. In your life in the future, when you think you have money problems, you don't. You have idea problems, not money problems. He said, because every great enterprise, every solution to every challenge, everything started with, at some point, an idea in one person's mind. <laughs> he said, so remember that yeah. you will only have idea challenges in the future. And so at 19 years old, one day I asked this man, I said, Sam, will you teach me everything? All of it. Don't hold back. All of it. And he said, OK, I will. But I want one thing from you. And this is me asking him at 19. He said, I will teach you everything, but this is what I want. When the time is right, and you will know that time, I want you to teach as many people as you possibly can everything I taught you. So at 19 years old, Wendy, I made an oath. I made a vow to my mentor that has today manifest itself as what we know as Giver's University. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it.
1: Wow. (laughs) It's not often you get me shut up for so long. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah that's right you're the conversationalist i mean this is really something
1: we're going to carry on that conversation in just a moment but first let me tell you about my power up program an hour and a half with me and accountability later it's by no means ever going to fix everything but what it will do is it will allow us to find one area that's a key priority for you to implement straight away into your business and allow you to just see the other areas that you need work on it's a great stepping stone into the 12-week building block program just book a chin wag let's have a natter and let's see how i can help you what's new wendy woo well this week's tip is quite simple and it's in alignment with ea story had he not had the courage or just the curiosity to ask the question he would have never have heard the story so if you don't know please find somebody to ask if you are looking at prospecting and you're looking to reach the right person ask just ask the question of who the best person would be to speak to for any more tips and insights you'll find lots more in my book or follow me on social media but of course i love to carry on these kinds of conversations so pick up the phone or dm me through messenger let's get back to the show Ears are pinned back, and you know, I've made made some mental notes there, EA. And as I've said, you know, I watched the founder at the weekend, so it's quite fresh in my mind. And what struck me initially was that my husband suggested putting it on, knowing full well that it was a business-based story. He knew that I would be interested in that, and that's normally not what he's interested in at all. His based on a true story are war. Espionage, right, right, yeah, (laughs) all that kind of action, action, adventure,
0: spy, drama, right,
1: yeah, yeah. I did sit on the couch and did that. Oh my goodness, your pitch, your milkshake machine pitch is just—you know—it's the chicken and the egg, man. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, your pitch isn't working, so change your pitch because the machine is still the machine, and the pitch is not working. So that's the obvious thing to change. So. You could see then later in the film, when he was starting to call for franchisees, come and work at McDonald's, come and own the dream, Uh, you could see the difference in that pitch because he believed it. So when June said, I believed in Ray, was because it was probably the first idea that she could really 125% get behind him. She'd seen it in him in idea after idea, which is brilliant. I think my LinkedIn profile says, you know, every good conversation starts as an idea in somebody's head. So you've just yeah. sort of said that and yeah, there are no excuses. There are excuses or the mistakes, which would you prefer to be the person that goes ahead and makes a mistake and learns from it or the person that just excuses themselves from learning?
0: For sure. And, uh, you know, and, and obviously in the beginning, you know, he listens to the record on Persistence and that becomes that's sort of the end of yes. the movie where he talks about how important that is. And and I certainly concur with that. It's not the only thing, but it certainly is a very, very important thing to, to you know, keep getting up every time you get tackled, you know, and to get out of the pool when you fall in it. Don't stay in it because that's called drowning. I, I got to tell you, I must have, I probably have watched it 15, 20 times by now, but uh, because it's weird how I, I feel like I'm sort of, I can remember June telling, as I'm watching the movie, I. I remember hearing it, you know, virtually almost four decades earlier, you know, watching the yes. events and I'm just yes. like shaking my head. And there's so much in there, by the way. I mean, You know, I mean, here's the thing, you know, they at the end, you know, they make it look like Ray took advantage of them. The whole thing with the percentages that they were supposed to get a percentage never happened. There was no dialogue on it. They never went to court. You can't tell me with attorneys on both sides that if there was an issue like that, they would have went to court. The dialogue never happened. June never referenced it and said, but they don't talk about the fact that the million dollars back then tax free was about $9 million today. Yeah. And and if Ray hadn't come along, they would have had their stand that would have been worth maybe 50 grand at the most. And, uh, you know, maybe a hundred grand. So, you know, so she said when he, when they gave him the price, she said, he literally tore the office apart. He tore it apart because he said, I built this thing. Now I've got to pay almost $20 million between two of them in today's dollars. Right. Almost. Mm -hmm. and, because I built it. He said, if I would have just went to the he said, well, I could have got it for 50 grand. He says, now it's $20 million because of what I built with all these franchises. And also, they don't include that there was an airplane. He had to buy them a Piper Cub. There was all, you know, so there was a lot of, it was all Hollywood, right? But the the events, nonetheless, and, on these, and certainly the McDonald's brothers fared very well, uh, and there was never a handshake deal on percentages like that, and Ray would have never agreed to it to begin with. He would have never even done it, right? But that's Hollywood spin, throwing it in there. Rumored gossip enters in, and they throw it in a story to make it interesting. And truly, what is interesting is that what Ray did event was duplication the importance of do and he recognized immediately it was all about getting more units where if you remember ray the brother said Street. the brother said we d- we're not interested because mm-hmm. we we fi- we think it's much better to have one good restaurant than ten not good restaurants or there's some kind of reference like that and the brothers say that and, yeah. and ray says no i don't know you know so it was because of that that made mcdonald's the icon that wendy's and burger king and all the rest of them emulated later on because he had that forethought going forward so I had my Ray Kroc. I found my Ray Kroc and I can submit to you. It was because I asked the right question. And my mentor said later on, I said, whether you know it or not, inadvertently, you tripped on the right question when you said, where would I find my Ray Kroc? You never said you're not going to or why aren't you going to or another. He said, that wasn't the question. You automatically knew you were going to. You were just wondering, where was he? How were you going to meet him? Totally different mindset. And I can share with you that all the things that we teach in Givers University, all the things I share that I'm blessed to share, I didn't make up any of them. I was simply a conduit because my mentor convinced me that I can do it.
1: What? (laughs) I am a believer of, you know, experiential, you know, without experience. And that experience can fuel that imagination so that you can see yourself doing something before it's even happened. And, And if that wasn't true, why do we have deja vu? Yeah.
0: And then you'd have to have Vujade, which is something that happened <laughs> that you wished that didn't. <laughs> that's Vujade, That's the opposite, right? So the, <laughs> just like that. I want to share with your listeners that one of the things that we teach that's so important today, and I'm just going to share with them in the interest of time where to get the resources totally free. There's two things. We're really focused on now teaching people how to build their own giver community. And we identify the difference between a taker community and a giver community. And there's very distinct differences. And I want to share with your listeners that, first of all, I say, we love everybody. I say it again, we love everybody. And we teach a skill of how to separate the person who we love from their deeds, which we may not love. And we teach a skill of awareness, a skill of observation that's not being taught anywhere else. Observe them doing certain things because your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. So watch their deeds, watch what they're doing. And from observing their deeds, now you can begin to decide, should I bring them closer in my life? because givers always bring with them the three W's of a giver, which is wisdom, wealth, and wellness. Or when I see them doing certain deeds, I'm watching them do these things. I'm not listening to what they're saying. I'm watching them. I'm watching their deeds. From that, should I now begin to discern and respectfully, not rude or nasty, respectfully begin to distance myself? Because if I bring them in closer, they're going to run havoc on my life. And I ask your listeners, think about all the times you stomp out fires. Think about all the times that your stress level goes up. They have something in common. There's a name attached to them. And if we could learn the skill of how to discern in our relationships of who those people are. So when we say giver, we're not labeling a person because we don't label people. We're identifying giver deeds when we say giver. When we say taker, we're not doing like invasion of the body snatchers and go taker. You know, we're not doing that. So we don't identify a person as a taker, we're identifying taker deeds. So even by virtue of actual checklists, we give free checklists. One of my favorites, the 25 dues, it's an actual checklist that can print off and it actually, and we want to print it off, put it in your pocket, begin to use it in discerning with your relationships and watch your productivity and happiness go up because you won't be stomping out as many fires every day because those people just aren't around you. So, you know, I'm a self-improvement person. I know you are. I know your listener, many of your listeners are. But no one's really teaching us, Wendy. What about the other guy? What if he's doing it wrong? What should I do about that? If I welcome him in my life and he's not doing it right and he chooses not to do it right, he's going to make me collateral damage. And all of a sudden, all my product, a big part of my productivity time is going to be stomping out these fires that I didn't make to begin with. So to discern who we want to have around us is a critical part. So there's two ways people can get all of this. First, they go to our YouTube channel. It's one word, Givers University. Just do a search, go on there and look for, there's a public playlist that's called How to Build Your Own Givers Junto Community. We use the term Junto. It's actually a Spanish word from the 1600s. And later on, Ben Franklin picked it up in the 1700s. And, and, and the, a Junto by definition is a group of people that have gotten together for a common purpose or interest. That's a junto, aka a community. And so we identify the difference in you know, what's a taker community and what's a giver community. And what are the components that make the difference? Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich, he does an excellent job of explaining the mastermind principle. And when he started explaining that, it was it was new, it was novel. So he explained what it is. He does not explain anywhere how to do it, right? And that's where we come in. We teach people, how do you build this mastermind group on steroids? Where I've seen in the past, I've seen, you know, good people get together. And then two or three months later, it just sort of dissipates and falls apart. And that was always a curiosity. You know, why didn't they stay together? Why, why did? So we looked at what were the reasons? Why did that happen? So they should go to the, our YouTube, go to Givers University. It's all one word, no spaces. And then look for the play that says How to Build Your Own givers Junto Community. And there's 21 episodes. They're all two-minute clips. So it's 21 two-minute clips. Starting at the beginning, if they go all the way to the earliest one, how to identify a giver community versus a taker community. Then we also walk them through the things a component a community should have. Then we also walk them through how to do it. There's seven steps. D-I-S-C-E-R-N. That's the word discern. We use it as an acronym. Each letter represents a step of building that community. And then we just finished up now, which are up to the 21st episode coming out tomorrow. The agenda. What do you do each meeting? Now that you got your group, what do you do? What do you say? What do you talk about, right? From beginning to end. It's a free resource. We want people to use it. Even in the descriptions, we have things they can make copies of. I mean, we're out there doing that. And uh, the other thing they can do is go to our website, GiversUniversity.com. They'll see a place where they can sign up for our newsletter. We're not spammers. So the moment they sign up, they're going to get an email that says, do you want to talk to Givers University? If they don't answer that, they'll get nothing else from us. That's it. It's the end of the conversations. If they answer that and say, yeah, I want to talk to Givers University, two hours later, they're going to get this checklist called the 25 Dues. Download it, print it off, put it in your pocket, begin to use it as a reference guide with discerning with your relationships and building the right kind of community around you, uh, and how critical that is because businesses opening and closing faster than before, products being antiquated overnight faster than before. When it's all done, what do we have left other than our relationships? And you, Wendy, are a critical part of that because you teach people how to communicate and have conversations as a part of those relationships, which is such a critical part, you know. Uh, so I thank you for having me on your show and be able to share with your listeners and certainly be able to share with you the this information.
1: Thank you for coming and giving us all so much. It's been absolutely, well, I, I, I don't know, but I've just looked at the clock and it's just sped by. So I know that that is a good and valuable use of our time.
0: You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me on your great podcast.
1: What a wonderful lady June Martino is. To have really bought into the fact that this opportunity arose, that she gave up her wages. It's knowing to trust your gut. It's knowing that it will all come good. And all too often, as entrepreneurs, as business owners, we can give up a little too soon. So our encouragement from here on the show, from all of the team, is to please continue to push through. And of course, EA has his own platform for that through Givers University. It's the home for wisdom, wealth and wellness. And he is open to sharing that with everybody. So please do go carry on the conversation with EA and let us know what you think in the reviews. Until next time, when we'll be making conversations about being super bold count. And just a little clue. This is somebody who is naturally an introvert that has got a process for turning on the heat in sales. You're not gonna wanna miss Fred Yahal.
0: Why not be that? Why not be the voice of upliftment as you move through the world? Enrich yourself and realize people will respond to it.